0: This is a great text this morning. It's good. You can turn to Luke 11. Believe it or not, it was a day very similar to this about 10 years ago, when I was elk hunting with my hunting partner, and uh, we were driving down this dirt road, and it was late in the afternoon, and we were going to try this spot we had never hunted before, and we, I backed into the lodgepole pines and we got our bows and packs and gear on and and hiked down this little ravine and into this meadow which had just tall grass and it was all wet and walked through this stream and then up into these rolling hills. And uh, in the fall when you hunt for elk, you the elk are in the rut and so you can actually bugle them in. A lot of people don't realize this, but a lot of elk are killed with bows within 20 feet. Which is pretty fun when they're, they're kind of angry and uh, they're looking to fight and you've got a bow and arrow. (laughs) It's better than coffee. Let's put it that way. And so anyways, we're out there trying to, you know, bugle in the big one and, and sure enough a big bull responded and, and we, the hunt was on and we started pursuing this bull but it was later in the fall and what happens is the bulls, they get that, their harem of uh, cow elks with them and then they don't want to fight because they don't want to lose the battle so they kind of run away. So this one was running away and we were trying to get close enough to kind of provoke it to come at us so that we could maybe mount it on the wall but, That never happened. We just chased it for a long time into the forest. And as we were chasing it, uh, a deep fog set in. And then it got dark. And so there we were. We're sitting on the ground talking about the big one that got away. And it was absolutely black. It's really hard to even describe how dark it can be in the forest when there is a thick cloud cover and fog. Uh, you could sit right next to, we couldn't see each other sitting. You, we'd hear voices just coming from the darkness. But, you know, we had our little flashlights and after we got something to eat, we, we we stood up and said, well, we better get back to the truck. And so I just, you know, I grew up in the mountains. And so I, I asked my friend who also grew up in the mountains, so which direction's the truck? <laughs> and he said, the truck's that way. And I said, no, it's not. The truck's that way. And so we had about 120 degrees difference of where we thought the truck was. Now, you know, a lot of people haven't really walked in the forest. Some people have walked in the forest around campsites, but that's not really the forest. That is kind of the trimmed forest. The real forest had a lot of uh, branches and pokey things that stick out towards your body and your eyes and lots of deadfall, dead trees and roots and rocks. And it's kind of like uh, walking in the forest at night is like kind of walking through an obstacle course in the dark. You know, it's pretty precarious. So we have these little flashlights and we can only see about 10 feet, which is enough for walking. But the problem is we don't even know which direction to go. And so what do you do in a situation like that? Well, you pull out the compass. And I want you to know, it's the only time in my life I have ever used a compass. And I said, okay, well, we'll see who's right. And I knew I was. And he knew he was. So we pulled out the compass. And where was the truck? That way. I mean, it was like right in between where we thought. I mean, in the opposite direction. And then we talked about how that could be, and we looked, and you know, well, there's one thing you learn, the compass never lies. So in faith, we just submitted to the little round dial, and we walked through the forest with our little dinky flashlights, walked right to the truck, and it taught me a lesson. You know, that compass was a great thing, but without that little flashlight, it wouldn't be any good. And even with the compass, knowing which direction to walk without the flashlight, you know, we would have tripped and fallen and poked out our eyes. You need light. And that's what Jesus is going to teach us in this text this morning, that we need light so that we are not full of darkness within. Jesus is at a place in his ministry where the opposition is increasing the religious leaders are becoming more hostile to him and his ministry. They're attacking, they're accusing, they're they're plotting against him. The crowds are becoming more fickle and unbelieving. And Jesus yet continues to expose the hypocrisy of the religious leaders and continues to call sinners to repentance. In the middle of Luke chapter 11 and verse 14, Jesus casts a demon out of a man, only to be accused by the religious leaders of doing it by the power of Satan. There are others there who just want to see a little bit bigger and better miracle. After defending himself against the false accusation, Jesus teaches about the danger of being freed from a demon and yet not repenting. And is at that time, this woman stands up in the midst of this crowd and says, blessed be the womb. You know, they gave birth to you and praises Jesus's mother. And Jesus says, no, you don't have it right. It's not blessed be my mother. It's blessed be anyone who hears and obeys the word of God like my mother did. And the crowds continue to increase according to verse 29. And as they all gather, Jesus tries to win their favor by telling them, You are a wicked generation. He lets them know that the queen of Sheba had far less information given to her. And yet she humbled herself, gave And worship God that the Ninevites had far less information, but they humbled themselves, repented in sackcloth and ashes at the preaching of Jonah. And Jesus says something far greater than Jonah is here. I am the Messiah. I am the son of God. I'm the one you've been waiting for. And I'm doing miracles to prove it. Something the queen of Sheba or the Ninevites never had. And Jesus makes it clear that these miracles that he's doing are to verify his identity as the Messiah, the long-awaited king of the Jews, but they would not believe. And so this is the context of our passage, and you know what? The whole context just flows nicely all the way to the end of the chapter, and it'd be fun to just you know preach like the marathon 10-hour sermon and just hook it all together, but you got to get in pieces, so we're just going to look at verses 33 through 36 this morning, and next week we'll kind of string it all together. Follow along in your Bibles as I read, starting in verse 33 of Luke 11. No one after lighting a lamp puts it away in a cellar nor under a basket, but on the lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. The eye is the lamp of the body. And when your eye is clear, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is all your body also is full of darkness. Then watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illumined as when a lamp illumines you with its rays. From this text, Jesus is going to teach you four truths to make sure you are full of light and not darkness so that truth and not error will enter into your life, save you and guide you for all eternity. The first thing we learn is you don't hide lamps. Now this is pretty basic verse 33. No one after lighting a lamp puts it away in a cellar under a basket, but on the lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. This is so simple and no-brainer. I mean, you don't light a lamp and then hide it. Why would you do that? Now, at that time, uh, lamps were were kind of like uh, small squashed teapots. Um, They were low-profile, had a little spout and a little handle, kind of like a coffee cup. Some of them had lids. Some of them just had a hole in the top. You would... Fill them up with olive oil like you would water in a teapot. You'd place a wick into the spout. Some of them had two spouts. Some had three spouts. Anyways, you'd put the wicks in these little lamps. Uh, and then you would light the wick. And the wick would slowly burn the olive oil. And then he'd put out about as much light as a candle. That was a lamp. His whole point is, when it gets dark at night, you don't light the lamp and then will put it in the cellar. You don't light a lamp and then put a pot on top of it. Why would you do that? That would defeat the purpose of the lamp. Everybody knows that. Well, Jesus is not concerned about lamps. I want you to know. And uh, what we're going to find out in this text is Jesus is using a lot of figures and metaphors and similes to teach the truth. As a matter of fact, he's going to use a metaphor to teach about a metaphor to teach about another metaphor to teach about a simile. I, I mean, it gets confusing. But Jesus isn't trying to give us lampology here. You know, He doesn't want us to leave here knowing about the ancient Near Eastern lamps and how they functioned. He's got spiritual truth in mind here. And everyone knows in a physical way, in a literal way, you don't light a lamp and hide it. And yet this is exactly what the religious leaders were doing at that time. They had the truth. They knew the Old Testament scriptures. They knew the promises of the Messiah. They knew about the forerunner. They knew who the Messiah was to be and where he was to be born and what he would do. They knew all of that. They had all of that truth. And it was as if they were hiding it from the people like a lamp under a basket or a lamp put into the cellar. Jesus used lamps frequently as an illustration. in Matthew 5:15, Jesus uses a lamp to teach that we should let our light shine before men. You know, we're kind of lamps, each of us, and as we live for God, people can see the truth of God emanating for us uh, from us. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. In Luke chapter eight, verse 16 and Mark 4:21, Jesus uses a lamp to teach that everything will be exposed. Just as when you light a lamp, you can see in a room and everything becomes clear what's in that room. So Jesus says when judgment day comes, nobody's going to get away with anybody. That guy who got away with it that wasn't caught. The bank robber who escaped without being caught. The person with the wicked thought that they thought there was no consequences for. All of that will be brought to light because the judge, the God of the universe, knows all things. And it will all be brought out into the light and then there 's another way he uses lamps, and that 's how he uses it in matthew six twenty two and twenty three and in our text now that is to teach us that we need to have light within ourselves and not darkness so this this section here is more about you personally and the light that God wants you to have in yourself, of course we all know that the people who have God's light in themselves are believers. So in a way, Jesus is talking about salvation, but he's talking about it in an indirect way. Jesus is speaking to the crowd, which is composed of a mixture of people, few believers, lots of unbelievers, and lots of unbelieving religious people. And this first little illustration is for them. The simplest, clearest Goo goo illustration is for them. Nobody lights a lamp and then hides it. Okay, that, that's about as simple and as three year old as you can get. And yet they in a spiritual way had the light of God's truth and they were hiding it from the people. They were the experts in the law. They should have been Jesus' disciples, not his enemies. They should have explained how Jesus was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. They should have said, this is the Messiah. Believe in him and follow him like we're following him. But no, they're hiding the truth. They're acting like devils. Now, you might be wondering to yourself, well, Just how were they hiding the truth? Uh, Maybe you're wondering, well, is this a problem today? I mean, you know, do people hide the truth today? And of course they do. Of course they do. Religious people all through the ages have hidden the church from the truth from people who needed it in the church. There are many denominations which have Bibles just like we do, but they just never teach them. They never teach their people. There are some people who go to churches all their life and never hear the gospel. Once. I was talking to somebody recently who said that was talking to their dad at their deathbed, explained the gospel. This man had gone to a certain church all his life and he was weeping and said, how come nobody has ever told me this? 82 years old. Never heard the gospel once in his church. Well, Jesus goes on to explain how these religious leaders were hiding the truth from them. And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at that. But I just want to give you one example, kind of a preview of coming attractions. Look at Luke 11, 52. Jesus is laboring to expose, rebuke, and confront the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. And this is just one example of their hiding the truth. Woe to you lawyers. And if you're a lawyer, I'm sorry about that. Um... <laughs> For you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter and you hindered those who were entering. Here Jesus pictures these religious leaders, these lawyers, these experts in the law as those who had a key that opened the door of knowledge. And there's a bunch of people behind them wanting to follow them into that place where knowledge is. And what do they do? They take away the key. They hide it. They bury it under their man-made religions and superstitions and traditions. And then all those people just jam up behind them and go, well, can't we go in? Sorry, don't have the key. That's what he's saying. The talk about certain denominations at this point is very tempting. But I think judgment should begin with the household of God. Let's just talk about us. How do we at Calvary Bible Church hide the truth? What about our own problems in this area? What hides the truth from our own souls? What keeps the light out? C.H. Spurgeon in a sermon entitled The Eye and the Light describes several ways that we hide the truth from our own souls and the souls of others. He says, quote, one of the most common is prejudice. The man conceives that he has light already. His father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather and previous generations were brought up in a certain religion. Therefore, it must be right whether the lamp gives light or not is not the question it is the family lamp and he will have no other he will not inquire He is quite sure and wants no evidence. And when the light of God comes to him, he at once repels it. He cannot be disturbed and therefore he will not hear or read or consider the matter. He is satisfied to let things be as they are. The very supposition that he may be wrong, he regards as an insult maliciously invented by an uncharitable mind. He says, what is to be done with one so blindfolded, end quote. You know anybody like that? I've talked to people like that all the time. Throughout my whole ministry, even in this church here. You know, when I was growing up, you know, we were taught, but what does the Word of God say? You know, we never did that. When, I want you to know, before you got here, but what does the Word of God say? You know what? I'm reformed. You know, in Calvin, what does the Bible say? Don't bother me with the Bible. My granddad! Do you know who he was? He was the president of... What does the Bible say? We could be so sure so convinced that what we believe is true based off of what someone else believed, that we are so in love with our tradition, so in love with our history, and our family's beliefs that we never even get into the Word of God and look up the Scriptures ourselves and see what God has to say. And really that leads into laziness, which is another thing that keeps us from the truth. People, yeah, well, I'm in a small group, but I won't read. You know what? If I'm in a small group and somebody doesn't do their reading, they're out. Come to church. Go to men's breakfasts, but don't come here. You won't even open your Bible to read a chapter in a whole week. I mean, what is that? Two verses a day? Some people won't do it. These are things that hide the truth from our own soul. There's so many things like this. You know, there's the husband who insists that his wife not be so fanatic about church and not go to church so often or not go on Sunday night or not go regularly. You know, we need to have family time, which interpreted means stay home and watch football. Or there's the parent who takes their child uh, out of church activities. My child can't be involved in youth group. They've got sports. Oh, yeah, we wouldn't want them to living. learning the word of God if they have games to play. This is to hide the truth from our children. Uh, The wife, you can't be involved in Bible study. Why? Because, oh, I'm so busy shopping and doing my hair that I don't have time to read the scriptures. Or maybe the college student who's so diligently studying, trying to get A's, that they neglect their own soul. Or maybe it's the senior person who's got time and who has money, and yet they take all that life experience, all those sermons they've heard, all those Bible studies they've attended, all of those books they've read, all of that practical wisdom they've gained, and they pack it up in their motor home and go traveling. They hide the truth. There's a zillion different ways. I know it's convicted. We need to move on. But the whole point is, is the word of God is important. And I'm not saying that college is bad. I'm not saying that a motorhome is bad. What I'm saying is it's bad when it supplants the truth. When it keeps us away from the truth. When it hides the truth. When it's an instrument for doing what is bad. No sane person lights a lamp and hides it in the basement and no sane person has a Bible and neglects it. That's what Jesus is saying. Secondly, your eyes are the lamps of your body. Look at verse 34 where Jesus goes on to say the eye is the lamp of your body. Now notice Jesus does not say the eye is the light of your body. Remember, there's the lamp and then there's the wick and then there's the light at the end, the flame. The lamp is just the instrument to get the light where it needs to be. So the eye. It's just nothing more than the instrument through which the light can come. Just as the lamp is not the source of light, so your eye is not the source of light. And again, Jesus is not concerned with your eyes. He's talking about spiritual perception here. Your ability to see and understand spiritual things. Look at the middle of verse 34. When your eye is clear, your whole body is full of light. Let's stop there. The word clear here might be translated whole or healthy. When your eye is whole or healthy or clear, man, the light comes in. You can see. I can see where I'm walking. I don't hit my head. I don't gouge out my eye. I can Pick things up in the dark. Why? Because the darkness is gone. Because the light has entered. I now can see. I have perception. You know, many of us wear glasses because our eyes aren't as healthy as they could be or they used to be. You know, I want you to know, I can read fine without my glasses. I just can't see you. (laughs) You're just nothing more but fuzzy tree stumps. (laughs) Colorful. I can see different colors, but that's about it. It's good when a scantily clad woman comes along, it can pop off and just, there it is. She's just blurred into the the grain of nothingness. (laughs) But usually it's a disadvantage to have unhealthy eyes. You can't see. You can't see correctly. Then even when there's light, when it enters in through an unhealthy eye, the light is distorted so that what you do see is not the real picture. I pop off my glasses. I don't see the real picture. I see distorted light. Kind of a spiritual astigmatism. And so you wear glasses to fix that. But some people have this spiritually. That when the truth comes, there is a distortion. And they don't see things like they really are. But when you have light and that light enters into your body, then your whole body knows what to do. You know where to step. You know where to grab, you know when to dock. Your whole body is protected. Your whole life is governed. You know how to think, you know how to meditate, you know how to discern things. Why? Because the light is in you. It it affects your whole life, your whole body. Many of us know Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That, That path is the way that you live. Look at the end of verse 34. But when it, your eye is bad. Your whole body is full of darkness. This word bad here is literally evil. You either got the healthy eye or the evil eye. And when your eye is bad, when it's evil, notice the consequence. Your whole life, your whole body is full of darkness. Of course, Jesus is not talking about bad eyesight. He's talking about when the truth is presented to you, when it goes in between here and here, it gets distorted and you're in darkness or it's shut out altogether. You know, we're all born in there's there's really two, two ways people are in darkness. One is they're just, they remain in that state in which they're born. We're born in darkness. We're born ignorant of the truth. But as we grow up. We can stay ignorant if you're never told the gospel, if you're never taught about God, if you're never shared the truth, then you just kind of live in that state of darkness which you were born into. But there's another kind of darkness, which is a worse kind of darkness, and that is the kind of darkness that exists after you've been presented with the truth. Because your eyes are evil. You have evil spiritual perception Remember the people of Nineveh? They saw Jonah walking through the town. Forty days, Nineveh will be overthrown. They saw him, they heard him, they repented. The queen of Sheba, the same thing. Saw Solomon's wealth, heard his wisdom, repented. But there are some who see, some who hear, and then they don't repent. Like the people in the crowd who saw Jesus do miracles, and yet they still wouldn't repent. Repent. I mean, they were, they were listening to that man that people said, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. As John says it. That this guy is just incredible. You know, how often when you're reading, reading through the Gospels, it says, and after he was teaching, the crowds were amazed or the crowds were astonished. That's the kind of preacher and teacher Jesus was. The greatest preacher, the greatest teacher that ever lived. So they had that And miracles. And we're talking massive light. Outside. They had seen him. They had heard him. But they had evil eyes. And so they continued in darkness. You see when a person has an evil eye. The truth is either shut out. Or it's distorted when it enters. Either case. It's bad because they remain in darkness. Henry Ironside commenting on this said, quote, It is so easy to fall into the habits that lead to moral darkness or take up with things that will darken the spiritual eyesight. Give attention to the word of God. Cultivate a desire to read the word of God. Nothing will kill the desire to read the word of God so much as the habit of reading the trashy literature that prevails in so many places today. You cannot get spiritual light in this manner. People say, I read my Bible. But I do not get much out of it. The reason is that the eye is not sound. It has become dull, partially blinded and occupied with things that are opposed to the truth of God and the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. End quote. Man, these people had revelation, man. They had light, man. They had thousand watt light bulbs shining on them. And yet, by the time it got in, it was dark. Oh. Oh. We saw that miracle. You do that by the power of Satan. That was a bad eye. That is when the truth, the light, came in. And by the time it entered into that, their eye was so evil, it turned into instead of this is the Messiah to this is Satan. You see how twisted that is? Other people didn't even let the light in. They just said, we want another miracle. I mean, they didn't even... Contemplate the significance of what Jesus was saying. They hadn't even stopped to say, well, what does this mean? Who is this guy? They just said, can you do something a little bigger and better? There's the man who thinks he knows better than God. And he comes to church and He sits there week after week, and he hears the preaching. He hears God's word, but all the while, he's got that evil eye. And he's saying, well, that couldn't be true because of what I know. This couldn't be true because of this. And he's constantly taking the truth of God, and he's twisting it and turning it into darkness. He's sitting in judgment of God. And he thinks, what? What? I always think, so then what? So you die and then what? Do you think God's going to kneel at your feet and you're going to say, you know, your word was lousy. I'm here to judge you. No, it's going to be quite the opposite. You're not going to be judging God. He's going to be judging you because you had an evil lie, because you wouldn't submit to the truth. You wouldn't receive the truth into your soul. Open your eyes and see your sin and see your savior and see that only Jesus is the answer. Third, beware of the darkness within. Look at verse 35. Jesus says, then watch out that the light in you is not darkness. When I first read this, I thought, what? Sounds like an oxymoron. Dark light. What's that? That's like sugary salt. It just doesn't seem to work, does it? How can you have light in you that's dark? Light by definition isn't dark and darkness by definition isn't light. So how could you have dark light? Well, Jesus is merely saying this. Watch out that the light that you think is in you isn't actually darkness itself. That's what he's saying. If you were to talk to the religious leaders that were standing there in front of Jesus, seeing him preach and teach and perform miracles, and you were to say, do you know the truth? They would say, well, of course we do. We're the religious leaders of Israel. We're experts in the word of God. Oh, do you believe that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah? Well, of course not. Well, what about the miracles? He does those by the power of Satan. And they would be totally convinced that they were full of light when in fact they would be full of what? Darkness. Darkness. Now what is impossible to see in the English here but which is very critical is that in verse 35 Jesus switches from addressing the religious leaders in the crowds to addressing each one of us individually. He switches from the plural verb to the singular verb. And he switches from the second person plural to the second person singular. And we might roughly translate this verse 35 this way. Then you yourself watch out that the light that you think is in your own person is not in fact darkness. Jesus here is appealing to each one of us to look into our own soul and to say, am I full of darkness or light? What is it? Do I have the truth of God within me or my own thoughts, my own imaginations, my own beliefs, my own traditions? Me. What is it? Everyone in the crowd that day should have been led to Jesus by the spiritual leaders. But because their eyes were so bad and evil, they had taken the truth that they had seen. They had turned it into darkness. And they were, in effect, taking the light of the truth and hiding it in the cellar. But you know what? It is the responsibility of leaders, of teachers, of preachers to preach the truth to people. And they will be held accountable for that. But it's also each of our responsibilities individual, individually. You can't say, well, I, you know, I didn't know the truth, Lord. There was that Bible that was next to your bedstand those 82 years. Oh, yeah. But that was for decoration. No, it wasn't. It was for reading. Yes, but it was so heavy. But what about the one in the pew in front of you? Well, I didn't want to take one of those. Why not? Well, those are excuses. Yes, religious leaders are responsible to teach the truth to the people they shepherd. But each individual is responsible to learn the word of God for themselves. When you stand before God, you can't say, I mean, you could say it. It's just not going to be accepted that Lord, they didn't teach me. You have to seek the truth out for yourself. The, the command to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly is for you, for each of you, for me. The commands to study and meditate and dwell and ponder are all for all of us, not just for religious leaders. Yes, we are all born in darkness, but there is a greater and worse darkness. Ironside says, quote, I warn you, be careful. All men by nature are in darkness, but there is something worse than that. When you refuse the light that has offered you The darkness becomes far more serious than that darkness in which you were born. If men persist in going on in darkness, turning their backs to the light, the day may come when God will give them up to judicial darkness, end quote. You know what judicial darkness is? That's when God says, okay, you sat in the pew long enough. You've heard the gospel a zillion times. You've been... Exhorted, you've been rebuked, you've been coddled, you've been baited, you've been tempted to believe the truth. All of this has been, and you just keep rejecting and rejecting, all I'm going to do to you, I'm turning off the light switch. And then you stay there for all eternity. That is scary. Proverbs 13, 9 says, The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked goes out. Proverbs 20, 20 says, he who curses his father or his mother, his lamp will go out in a time of darkness. Proverbs twenty four twenty: for there will be no future for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out or snuffed out. It's as if they're saying, well, I don't need you, God. I don't need your truth. And give me that lamp. And God says, OK, you can take the lamp if you want. But as soon as you start to take that first step, God reaches down and goes. And now you're in darkness says, go for it. That's where you're going to stay. These Proverbs describe judicial darkness, a darkness that brings. Eternal ruin. And when you read the Old Testament, you'll see God doing this. Remember, I don't know if you were here a long time ago, we preached from Amos and talked about a famine of the word. When God said to the people in Amos' time, okay, that's it. You've rejected my truth so much, I'm going to send a famine. But it's not going to be one of those wimpy, easy famines where you just starve to death physically. This is going to be one of those famines that is the greatest of all famines, a famine of my word. I'm going to take it away so you not only die physically, but you die spiritually forever for eternity. This is judicial darkness. Ironside warns, if you persist in loving darkness rather than light, God may someday say, if you want the darkness, you may have it, and you will enter into darkness forever. That is is the doom of those who have refused the light, eternal darkness, end quote. That is scary. That is so scary. And you know what? There there are so many ways that we, we stay in darkness, that we justify being in darkness. You know, we, we, we tell ourselves all sorts of lies just so we can live in the darkness and maintain a dark life and dark thoughts. Spurgeon mentioning some of these excuses talks about those who just you've talked to them before. Maybe you're one of them. I hope not. Hopefully it's just your neighbor. That person back east, you know. Person Well, I, I can't help it. It's just the way I am. You ever have anybody tell you that? As Spurgeon talks about it, brethren, we need the light to shine upon our tempers. We know some Christian people who will not let you mention their tempers. They have taken out a license to be as surly as they like on the ground of it is their constitution. No, they say, I cannot help being passionate. My mother was quick tempered. I am naturally that way. There's no help for it. Let the light in upon that unseemly thing. If what you say be true, write it down in black and white, that you are an incorrigible vexen and must be so all of your life. What? Do you not like it? If it is true, then let the light in on it. Let it be known to your own self and to others that you are a mad dog and there is no curing you. Oh, no, are you angry with me for suggesting it? I am only taking you at your word. Do not say cannot help having a bad temper friend. You must help it. Pray to God to help you overcome it at once for you either must kill it or it will kill you. You cannot carry a bad temper into heaven. They will have none of your passions in the father's house above. Let in the light of Christ's love upon it, and the vile thing will be made to die. It is a night bird and cannot bear the light of grace and love. Live near to Jesus, and his compassion will destroy your evil passion. Try it, end quote. Oh, that is so good. I wish I had those words to tell a lot of people who came to me and said, well, I just can't help it. It's just the way I am. Well, stop it you telling me that God's grace isn't sufficient for you? you telling me that the Almighty God can't help you change? Is that what you're telling me? Well, you tell that to God. Now, oh, when I get to heaven, I'm just going to be one of those mad dogs in heaven. No, you're not. You're going to be a mad dog somewhere else, and it's not going to be in heaven. When your spiritual eye is bad, You can think you're full of light, but in fact, be deluded and be full of darkness. That is why Jesus says, make sure it is appeal for you to examine your own soul to see whether or not that you are not full of darkness when you think you're full of light. Fourth, seek to be full of light. Look at verse 36. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it. Now stop there. Of course, the only way this can be true is if you have this healthy spiritual eyesight, which comes from knowing Christ, repenting of your sins, believing in Jesus alone for salvation. You have your clear eyesight. The truth comes in. It alone. uh, There's no dark part in you. Look at the middle of verse 36. It, your body, will be wholly illuminated, fully illuminated. I mean, it'll just be blasting with light from within. I have these two floodlights I set up when I'm working outside at nighttime. I like them, especially this time of year, because they're like heaters. They're so uh, uh, bright, and they just put out heat sometimes when I'm working in the front yard, and I've got my lights on. I'm doing yard work in the dark. I know that sounds weird, but to me, it's not. People come by, they think I'm filming a movie. Because there's so much light, you know, shining out. And Jesus says, this is what it's like. If your whole body is full of light, you're just going to be wholly illuminated. It's just going to radiate out of you. It's, it's going to enter into your thoughts. It's going to enter into your meditations. It's going to enter into your work and your conversation and the things you do and the things you don't do. God's light is going to govern your whole body. It's just going to be there. There's going to be this, this spiritual radiation from your whole being. And look at the simile he gives at the end of verse 36 is when a lamp illumines you with its rays. It's just, you just, you can see. Do you remember what it was like when you first came to Christ? I know some of you you know, have the blessing and curse of coming to the Lord early in life. I mean, it's a blessing because you didn't have to go through all those sins. The rest of us wish we didn't commit, but man, it's so cool when you come to the Lord later and you see God change your life. It's just night and day because you're old enough to see it. You know, when you talk to people who before they would read the Bible, and it's nothing. And now when they open up their Bible, it's like, oh, this is so good. Did did you see that there? I mean, when they have their quiet times, they just think, oh, I got to call up a friend and talk to him. Hey, guess what I just read? They write verses on everything, you know. Uh, It's just they did the scriptures. They just come alive. They they have this new spiritual perception and they go through life and they're thinking about God and they're talking to God. And they're looking at life. They're looking at the person who ran the light and the person who's angry and the person who's smoking. They're taking the scriptures and they're just uh, just assessing everything by the word of God. Do you know that? That's what it means to be in the light. And if you're sitting there thinking, oh, Jack, 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 oh, come on now. Come on. I, you're describing like, uh, you know, somebody who's had, you know, this religious epiphany or something. No, I'm talking about normal Christianity is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what it, know, it means to know and love Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean you never sin. Of course we sin. Man, we've got a savior and he's greater than our sin and he loves us. And his truth is sufficient for us. He gives us in this book everything pertaining to life and godliness. And when we read this book and are faithful to let the light in, it just illumines our whole life. Our thoughts, our work ethic, everything. That's normal. That's what Jesus wants for all of us. And it all begins with being born again. With being saved. And this is the problem with the crowd, and this is a problem that some people come to church. They come to church, they hear the truth, but, you know, I don't want God messing with me too much. You know, I don't want him controlling every part of my life. I mean, I'll give him some Sunday mornings periodically, throw a couple bucks in the plate, and, you know, but I don't want him, you know, really taking over. Well, what you're saying is, is I don't want Jesus, because he's either king of your life or he's not you either want him to be your lord and savior or you don't don't deceive yourself and be in darkness and think that well i can live in rebellion against god all my life and then at the end god will like me because my good deeds have outweighed my bad deeds no if that's how you're thinking all your deeds are bad even the ones you think are good see that What's happening is you think that your good deeds are pleasing God when they don't. The only thing that pleases God is Christ. He was the only perfect one. It is only through his sacrifice and through his blood and through his death on the cross. And because of his resurrection that we can be right before a perfectly holy God. Not because your good deeds outweigh your bads. You don't have any good deeds. If you put them on a scale, you'd have everything you do and then what Jesus does. And if you're trusting on this to get you into heaven you're in darkness and you need to come to the light and you need to believe in jesus christ alone for your salvation you know there's more to christianity than going to church and heartlessly singing a couple songs and you know doing your yeah i did my duty and read my two pages of the bible today and yeah, I did my prayers that God never seems to answer and I'm going through the religious motions. That's not Christianity. That's living in darkness. That's living in darkness. There should be joy. There should be passion. There should be a love for God and the things of God in your life. So don't hide the light of the truth. Remember your eyes are the lamps of your body. Use them to get full of light. Beware of darkness within that you might think is light. And seek to be full of light so that it affects every area of your life. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. And that will be that lamp that will guide your whole life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what Jesus taught us here in this text. It is convicting. It is pointed and it is so good. Father, I don't know why men choose to live in darkness when the light is so much better. Not only in this life, but it's certainly in the life to come. Father, I pray for each of us here. I pray that for those who know you, we would Examine our lives and watch out that we not have darkness within us or that we aren't hindering the light from shining. That we would not be involved in any activities or pursue anything that would harm our own soul and certainly not the souls of others. For the rest of us, Father, I pray that you would bring conviction upon those who don't know you. Those who realize that they are living in darkness, that the life changing experience of salvation of Christ. They realize they've never known that that father right now, they would humble themselves, confess their sins to you, cry out in repentance, asking you to forgive them and change their life. And that you would make them new creatures like you promised that you would give them joy and pleasure and happiness and just newness of life. And Father, in all of this, we pray that you would receive all the glory and honor and praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.